Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Rodney E. Hi everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the round 12 preview as we move into the uh, the buy rounds. Uh, seven games this week, eight games next week, and uh, six games each of two, as Peter Landy used to say. Um, the following two rounds, as I say, very good morning to my footy LG co-host, uh, Mr. Rodney Ead. How are you going, Rocket? Very good, Rowan. How are you, mate? You uh, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. Uh, interesting times in the football world. Um, I was talking to you yesterday about not necessarily that much to report, but uh, of course the AFL, true to form uh, in uh, taking out the trash, has managed to uh, dispose of a rather troublesome little object at about 7.45pm last night. I think Gil McLaughlin did a news conference about the Hawthorne racism investigation, which has been uh, wound up, packed away, and uh, you can just see the AFL being very relieved to rid itself of that whole messy business. We're going to talk about that, of course, because it's more than a messy business. It's an important business. Uh, We've got plenty more to talk about. Uh, Let's get straight into it. On Footyology Newsfeed. Well, uh, it's a big news that really, let's be honest, goes way beyond the football field, but that is uh, the AFL last night uh, winding up the investigation uh, of uh, allegations of institutionalised racism at the Hawthorne Football Club. Uh, it's been a very long, very messy business, and of course, as was apparent, uh, pretty well a long time ago, uh, no one was really going to pay a price for this. Uh, just a lack of due process, um, no right of reply, of course, for those uh, at the heart of the probe, and that is, of course, Alistair Clarkson, Chris Fagan, and former Hawthorne football manager Jason Burt. Uh, the complainants in this case, the Indigenous families um, who are the subject of these allegations, they're not satisfied. Uh, the game isn't satisfied. A uh, lot of anger now, Rocket. No one's satisfied at all much. It's a pretty messy business, isn't it? It is. Um, but uh, I know you said at the start that it's it's sort of swept under the carpet and gone now, but I read where the Indigenous families got the chance to go to the Human Rights Commission. So, therefore, if if they do that, then it's not over. I can't see how it's just the AFL wiping their hands. And I find it interesting that uh, Gil McLaughlin said that there's a chance to uh, penalise the Hawthorne Football Club, but if they haven't given the... haven't interviewed or their investigation hasn't interviewed the three uh, in Clarkson, Fagan and Burt, and they say there's nothing to answer to, how can then Hawthorne Football Club be guilty of anything if everything's all clear? So it's it's very contrary in its, in its uh, approach there, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what, what actually plays out in that situation. Yeah, well, co- uh, no, I, I, that's pretty much how I'm saying it. There's a couple of things that don't sit well with me. One is the fact that this was uh, sort of... They attempted to dispense with it so quickly. Uh, you know, when we had this press conference at 745 last night. Why, why would you do that? I mean, and they could say, oh, you know, it's been a long time, we've got to wind down. You want many media there to ask questions. Yeah, well, exactly. And it's, uh, you know, it's eight or nine months down the track. You're saying you couldn't have waited until the next day and had done it properly. 
The other thing that doesn't sit well with me, and you just touched on it there, is is this sort of um, beating of the chest by the AFL about, uh, oh, you know, we're, we're going to look at draft penalties for, for Hawthorne. Um, I don't, I don't know if I'm being naive here, but what's that saying about the, you know, the road to hell was paved with good intentions? Well, this is pretty unprecedented ground. And I've always looked at how Hawthorne have done this and thought, well, okay, it was very clumsily handled. But the initial intent, and I'll tell you what, it's not often you're going to get me to agree with Jeff Kennett, but he's talking along those lines this morning. I mean, when they were made aware of these allegations and decided to sort of check them out, I guess, for their own satisfaction, was that not the right thing to do? When they became aware that this was a big an issue uh, and and referred it to the AFL, was that not the right thing to do? And the fact that it was leaked and came out, and of course, in the end, there was that lack of due process, I don't see why that was the fault of the Hawthorne Football Club. The leak, clear, pretty clearly, the leak didn't come from the Hawthorne Football Club. I oh, know, for sure. There's no doubt about that. And I think you're right. I mean, seems to, you know, I think you used the right word, clumsily along the way and probably didn't have a terms of reference around the, their investigation, their own investigation uh, report that they did. But they've obviously had some uh, some thought process on, um, on, on some discrimination. Uh, commissioned a report, found out there was a more widespread, as you said, than they initially thought, passed that on to the AFL. So the AFL has set up the investigation committee. That committee has never interviewed uh, uh, Clarks and Fagan and uh, Bert. Um, so I don't know how how the um, Hawthorne should be actually penalised for anything they've done. Um, so whether it's just posturing, whether it's just taking uh, things away from the AFL, whether it becomes a talking point and not actually the process what's gone through the investigation. Yeah, well, I, I don't know if it was the lateness of the hour or whatever, or, or Gil was a, a bit crotchety because he hadn't had his PIMS uh, at 7.45 last night. But uh, it is sort of tough talking about, I mean, I'll read the quote. He says, the process whereby allegations were aired without anybody having the ability to respond to them has provided an environment where there's been many parties, complainants and the defendants put in a hugely vulnerable situation. And it's had an impact across the industry for all First Nations people and others, McLaughlin said. Well, yeah, it has. But in the same breath, you're saying yourself, Gil, that, you know, this is unprecedented waters and it's the messiest situation you've ever seen in footy. And I would have thought that is something that requires a bit of tiptoeing and and, uh, empathy and, and understanding. I'll give you another one that actually does make me a bit shirty when I see comments like that. And his name is Adam Goods Rocket, uh, and yeah, you know, let's not let, well, let's call a spade a shovel here. The AFL allowed Adam Goods to dangle in the in the bloody breeze back in 2015, and the the retirement of one of the all time greats of the game was was absolutely a disgrace, and he was hounded out of the game. And the AFL obviously subsequently admitted that they handled that poorly. But it's this thing that. It's all about the optics for them, always. And the chest thumping like this just sort of hammers that home for me that, uh, I don't know, I just don't buy that they are that really, their their regard is that much for the offended parties here as it is for our our image. And, you know, you're quite happy to let Adam Goods, 
you know, sort of wither on the vine there where he's copping filthy racist abuse from so many people eight years ago. Don't now lecture Hawthorne about following process when they at least, by instituting this thing to begin with, were attempting to get to the bottom of some pretty horrible allegations. Yeah, uh, I agree totally with all that. And it's interesting, that, you know, that thing you read out, what McLaughlin's statement said, that the allegations were aired. So they virtually by that uh, statement, they're saying that Hawthorne aired them. Therefore, this is saying that that's why we're going to penalise them because they're there, the allegations, without any, uh, without Clarkson and Fagan and Bert having a chance to be interviewed and give their opinions. Well, Hawthorne didn't air them. Hawthorne actually passed the thing on to the AFL and then someone else has leaked it. Hawthorne didn't air them at all. So, um, and if Hawthorne hadn't have passed the details on to the AFL when they did and gone and interviewed Fagan and uh, Clarkson and Burt, and then it leaked out, the, Hawth- uh, the AFL would have been absolutely filthy that they weren't across it. So yeah. um, I, th- I think uh, Hawthorne, a bit clumsily, as of the terms of reference and whatever the case may be initially with the report, but I think they've followed due process of what the AFL wanted them to do. Always about the optics with the AFL. Okay, we'll wind that up there because, as you say, Rocket, I, I mean, I did say the investigation itself has been wrapped up, but uh, the family's now talking about Human Rights Commission. Uh, it's clear there's a fair bit of, to play out in this pretty unsavoury story yet. Also wanted to have a chat today, Rocket. Uh, I wouldn't say this has been sort of bobbing around in the news as such, but I think it's something uh, worthy of discussion, and it's about... Adelaide Football Club and the way that they have rebuilt their playing stocks, uh, sitting in a pretty nice uh, place at the moment. The Crows, obviously, six and five, real chance to play finals. But uh, I love the way they've gone about their rebuild, and there's something a bit old schoolish about it to me. You know, we used to talk about Ron Barassi and the five year plan back in Melbourne and this sort of stuff. Clubs don't often have the, the guts to see through a, a patient rebuild, but I love the way the Crows have done this um, over, what, you know, four four years at least now, and the results are really coming through. Have a look at the wins-losses, you know, three wins in 2020, seven wins the next year, eight wins last year. They're up to six wins now, and there's, uh, what, another 12 games they've got to play, so clearly they're going to continue that developmental curve. But if you look at the demographics of their list, um, they've got so many different tiers with so many good players in each of them. I think their list is as well set up as anyone's. Their senior players, and I know you you sort of want to make this point about how good their senior players are, but they still at the moment have the second youngest list and second least experienced list behind only Hawthorne. Now Hawthorne are very vulnerable to still the, the odd belting or so. The Crows have an experience in this group that really belies the age of the group. And I, I think they could be setting themselves up here for the next decade. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I suppose the, the point is have a look at Port Adelaide, what, what, they're, what they're doing and having a resurgence and what Geelong have done and what Hawthorne are doing, that there's different ways of, uh, of staying competitive or becoming competitive. Uh, if you say whether it's a rebuild or a reset, whatever, whatever people want to use. But Adelaide have done it extremely well, I think. There's a few elements to it uh, that their senior players are just not there for experience um, or bigger bodies. Say North Melbourne's case, you know, Zeb was just about gone, Cunnington. They're playing them to help the youngsters. 
the four older players, the four guys at 30 plus and Adelaide, are playing exceptional footy. So they're, they're stars in their own right still. You know, Walker, Sloan, Laird and Smith are all playing exceptional exceptional footy. Uh, then they've got a, a mid-bracket, um, as you said, and what they've done is they've nailed their selections. So I think there's two elements to that. that they've selected well, but their development program must be good at, at the same time. So there's you know, a few of their youngsters, Saligo and um, uh, Pedler and these guys weren't big names really in the draft, you know, draft sets. But they're becoming good players. And other players that have been there for a few years, Jones has had a good year. Uh, Shoal's coming on as a youngster who's been there three or four seasons. So they've, they've, as you mentioned, at each tier level of age, they've got some you know, they've got some players who are developing nicely. Fogarty's been there uh, for four years now, slow, but he's now starting to... So Dill Thorpe's been slow, like McDonald at Sydney, they've at the same time. But I think taller players take a bit longer. But having Walker there is just fantastic for him. Fogarty's taken that, as I mentioned before. Um, O'Brien and the Rucks been a really good player for him. So they've really got a, a real good balanced team. I think there's a few holes in their list. But they, as you mentioned, they're young enough now to actually take the next step. Well, just to give you an idea of, you know, there's sort of, I think, four tiers of ages, uh, all of whom we'd say fit into that youth group. But they're dis- decidedly different. Now, here's an example. In that youngest, least experienced bracket, you've got, Four guys, uh, Michelini, Hedler, Saligo, and Rochelle. None of them is any older than 20 years old, and they are week-to-week important contributors to that side. Then the next sort of tier up, a little bit more experience and a little bit older, Thorpe, Butts, McHenry, and Hinge is another one of them. They're now around... I think you're ranking me in that as well. uh, Well, ranking them, getting to him. Those guys are around that 30-game mark. Rankin is up around 50 games. He's at 23. And he and Jordan Dawson are sort of the only trade-ins to this group. But so well has the drafting been done, but they've only sort of needed these two trades in uh, trade-ins to fill the group out. Here's the one that really makes me think, wow, this has been done so well. It's two guys, and you mentioned Darcy Fogarty and Chase Jones. Now, they are 23 years old, but each of them has now played right on uh, just short of 70 games. Now, that is almost your sweet spot, isn't it? You've got guys who are sort of five years into their AFL careers approaching 100 games, but they're still only 23. And you've got those two AFL lists having your rankings for age and games experience. The absolute sweet spot for any list, I'd say, is when the games experience is up in the upper half of the ranking list and the uh, age is in the lower half. And Adelaide are set to to move into that sweet spot in the next couple of years. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt that they've, they've done it really well. I think their key defender spots, are pro- I think they're doing a good job, Murray and Betts, but I, I think Duday's a good um, support player. You know, he's another player in that mid-age bracket. We're talking about 25, 26 or whatever he would be and played quite a few games. So another experience. But if they can get a, a key defender... Um, and keep, you know, we had a concern or a question about their midfield at the start of the season. Obviously, Dawson going in there, but Pedler's going in there, um, other players, uh, Rochelle. So they're introducing these players through the midfield. So they've got a good balance, A, of age and experience, as I said, but good flexibility in their, in their side as well. So they've got, they've got most areas covered. And really exciting is, is A, their ball use, is, and that must be a prerequisite uh, when they draft. It must be able to kick the footy. Um, 
and the exciting players in their forward line. They can kick goals. They don't, you know, they don't rely on any one particular avenue. So you now they've got. I think they've done it really well, and they've had a plan. And that's what that's what I keep going back to Hawthorne. Some of these media commentators saying they are tanking when it was absolute garbage, and they might get some buildings, but they've got a plan. They got a plan of they're building uh, the game plan, which is taking the game on a bit, which is going to cost them at times. They're trying to build around their midfield, uh, so from inside out. Um, but once they get a player that can support Lewis up forward and someone to support Sicily down back, they'll be a very good side. And I think they're doing it. They're probably a bit younger than what Adelaide were because they didn't have those older, exceptional old players around them. Uh, but but they're on the same thing where they've got a plan. Adelaide have had a plan, stuck to their plan, keep adding to it, and their mix that they're adding all the time has been uh, has been exceptional. Well, list building 101, it's always a, a fascinating discussion. And yeah, I think you're right. I think Hawthorne is on the right path too. And Adelaide might end up uh, being the template for a lot of other clubs over the next uh, bit of time because uh, at right at this stage, you'd say they're doing it very, very well indeed. All right, uh, there's enough news chat for us. We've got seven big games to preview in round 12. Let's get into it. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Round 12 kicks off Friday evening at the MCG, 7.50pm. It is between Melbourne and Carlton. The Demons fourth on the ladder, 7-4. Lost their last two games now against uh, Port Adelaide first and then Fremantle at home last week. And Carlton, well, the poor run of the Blues continues. They've lost six of their last seven now after a 28-point loss to Sydney. And they are pretty miserable, 13th on the ladder. Uh, cue the infighting, cue the hand-wringing, cue, uh, cue, cue the natives at Princess Park getting very, very restless. Uh, we'll talk about personnel and injuries in a minute, but uh, well, not neither camp particularly happy at the moment, Rocket, but one camp uh, unhappier than the other one, it's fair to say. You're going to say the natives. I think it's the savages, isn't it? That, uh, <laughs> yes. They're going a bit... Uh, it's obviously a club that had a lot of success a long time ago, and they're still uh, uh, that same mentality though they would have had 30 years ago. So I, I the start of the year... I. I didn't think their list was that great. And people are still saying, oh, they've got a great list. I still don't see that they've got a great list. No. They rely on their two forwards who aren't kicking a lot of goals, um, and that can be uh, labelled a bit about their game plan and the way they move the ball. Um, but it can be a bit too – their kicking skills aren't great. They're not a great kicking. We talk about Adelaide. They're not a good kicking side. Uh, defensively, though, and it's interesting, Boss said, oh, we're, we're – I don't want to talk about attack. We're going to talk about defence. Defensively, they're okay. They're not sensational. Wigan does a good job. But they're slow in the midfield and, and they don't move the ball exceptionally well. I think they've got to get their offence right and it'll help their defence. Their defence is really on the back foot. It's like the damn wall all the time. And I think they're holding up okay considering the amount of inside 50s they're conceding um, and the talent that they're, that they're against. So it's generally been one quarter that's cost them. And I think their their efforts okay, and it's easy for supporters to say, "Oh, they're not having a go." And um, I pay my membership, and we need effort. Well, I think their efforts there for most of the time. I think Boss is getting some good effort out of them. I think their style of play needs needs does need some correction, um, and I don't think their list is as great as they're thinking it is. No, I'm certainly with you on that last point. That's been a bit of a hobby horse for me. So, I mean, where they are isn't necessarily that big a, a shock to me. 
They had their effort has been consistent. I think the the last four defeats have all been in that twenty uh, something points range. So it's not like they're getting blown away. Um, but the list is lacking, and it, it, it's not a list good enough to withstand the sorts of injuries it has put up with uh, to key personnel. Speaking of which. Um, things aren't getting a lot better for him. Uh, young duo Corey Durden and uh, Ollie Hollands, uh, they're going to miss two months after surgery um, over the last few days. Hollands, uh, of course, uh, collarbone injury, and that's uh, a big issue for him. Uh, Durden was the other one, uh, knee injury. So um, uh, bad news there. Newman... He's going to be out until at least the round 15 bye. Hewitt uh, is in the concussion protocols. Uh, Cripps, well, geez, uh, imagine how things would be if he was out at the moment. He's got a fitness test this week, but expected to play. For Melbourne, it's not so much how many, uh, how many, but who. And uh, clearly the big one there, Clayton Oliver, um, his presence really missed last week against the Dockers. He's not going to be rushed back this week. Probably uh, the King's birthday game against uh, Collingwood. Still feels weird saying King's birthday, but uh, that's the one they're targeting him back for. And uh, Harrison Petty, foot injury. Uh, his absence been costly, and some people might have thought too. He's ramped up his recovery, but they're still saying a few weeks away for him, two to three the likely time frame there. So, uh, yeah, good sort of test last week for them without Oliver, and the results weren't necessarily encouraging, really, were they? No, they do rely on him a lot, uh, to be honest. And I think they probably would have won if he'd played last week. It was a, it was a tough game and tight game, and I was quite impressed with Fremantle. But, uh, yeah, they, they're just lacking something at the moment, even with Oliver playing. Um they certainly lack consistency of getting goals. They've always had some issues with their forward line, and they're still struggling with connection and be able to kick multiple goals. And I think you can always tell a very good side is when they're able to get a, a like you look at Collingwood, they're able to get four or five goals in a row, and then they might it might take a couple of quarters and it might be stalemate. But Melbourne had that in their premiership year. They don't seem to have that at the moment. It seems an answerable goal. The opposition will get two, then we'll get one back. And there's always a battle to score. Um, so that's an issue. But I, th- I think they'll win this game. Carlton, I mean, you spoke about their effort losing by 20-odd points consistently. But it's their accuracy for goal. They've got to be the worst team in, in the competition. So they kick one team, one game they kick 9-20. They did it last weekend. So they're not getting reward for effort. Nourishment on the scoreboard, as Lee Matthews would say. So um, and, and it becomes a mental issue too that we're, we're working hard and we're not scoring goals. So... Uh, players become shitty with each other to say, listen, let's score, let, you know, all this effort. So I think that can be counter counterproductive for them. But I think with those players out, I think they'll have a go. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll be competitive again, but I think Melbourne will have too many trumps for them. All right, uh, just a, a couple of quick stats. Melbourne's really dominated this one head-to-head. Uh, they've won the last seven clashes against the Blues, uh, whose last win over the Demons was back in 2016. Um, and five from five for at the MCG this year until last week's loss to Frio, whereas Carlton at the G, not good at all. They have won only one of the last seven games on the uh, Coliseum, Carlton, so uh, those portents aren't good for them either. Uh, can't tip them here. I, like, I, I think this will be another one of those games where they're competitive. 
that Melbourne is just a, a little too good and will end up winning this uh, in a game that becomes important for them too, having lost two in a row. I'm going to go for the Demons by uh, 20 points. What do you reckon, Rock? I was going to go Melbourne 21. I'll keep it in the 20 range because uh, that seems to be the sweet spot for Carlton to lose by. All right, so we're both going for the Demons. Uh, let's turn our attention to Saturday. Saturday afternoon, 1.45, Adelaide Oval is the time and the place for Port Adelaide's game against Hawthorne. And the power are they going great guns. Eight wins in a row, 9-2, second on the ladder after that terrific win against Richmond at the MCG last Sunday. Hawthorne, 16th on the ladder, but 3-8 and eight now after winning their last two. And no doubt this was their best win of 2023, 10-point victory over St Kilda. So two teams on a high. Their history is pretty even. They've won their last 10 clashes, five apiece. Or, I'm going to say it again, each of two, the Peter Weedy expression. Uh, he was one of my favourites, Rocket. Um, good Hawthorne supporter. Good Hawthorne supporter. And wasn't he a pessimistic Hawthorne supporter too? He given, given away the 84 grand final and there's about a point the difference in time on. Um, <laughs> Hawthorne won the last clash between these two teams by 64 points in round two last year. Port at Adelaide Oval, well, it's becoming a fortress. They've won 12 of their last 15 there. Um, Port at Adelaide Oval, 50-50. It's the each of two again, 7-7, but they've won their last two. Um, this will be interesting. You think Port's going to win, but Hawthorne might give them a bit of cheek, Rocket. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think, I think Hawthorne have been... Even the Geelong game, they've been in most games. To half time, they were in front and they got belted 10 goals in the other one quarter. Um, there's not many games that they don't show a bit of cheat. And I think they get confidence in last week's game. I thought they were terrific. They should have won a four or five goals, I think, and they kicked inaccurately as well. So I think they'll play the same way. They'll miss Sicily. Sicily is an absolute star. Um, his ability to intercept Mark and generate. So I think that'll cost them. I think that'll cost them more than most people would think. Um, I think uh, Port, with, I thought they were down a little bit last week. Um, obviously, Richmond, on the bounce back from their coach resigning uh, during the week, sh- showed a bit of pluck. But uh, I think Port were down a bit. But I think at home, uh, I can't see I can't see the Hawks really emulating last year uh, when they won by 60-odd points. I really can't see them getting close in the end. And uh, uh, Dixon and Marshall wouldn't be far away. Uh, so for me, I think Port will get this. Well, we'll talk about personnel. And one of the impressive things support last week, 10, I think it was, individual goal kickers. And, uh, you know, they have been relied on those key forwards, but didn't have many to call on last week. Now, Marshall, uh, he's missed the last two, undergo testing again this week, so some sort of chance to play. Uh, Boak and Dixon were both close to playing at the weekend, but uh, we'll have to pass tests. So uh, you reckon two of that, a group of three will probably be back this week, which makes a, a pretty big difference. And, of course, for uh, those members of the Orazio Fantasia injury, um, memorial injury list, he is still the perpetual one week away uh, with his... Um, uh, no, so not one week away, sorry, five weeks away with his perpetual knee injury. Hawthorne, uh, James Sicily, yeah, wow, can't afford to... Be without Sicily, can you? What a fantastic game that was from him last week. Jeff uh, is the one they're also missing, I think, and he's 
Um, still three weeks away with a calf injury. Uh, Wingard and Ward both expected to be available for selection this weekend. Um, but yeah, Sicily, uh, what a game that was, Rocket. He's almost in the Tuke Miller importance to side uh, index now, isn't he? Yes, well, I, I I will argue against Tuke Miller. I think Jared Witts is the most important player for the Gold Coast Suns, not okay. Tuke Miller. Um, but yes, he is, Sicily. Last week, like we talk, it's interesting with the media that. Um, that uh, Lord St Kilda and their coaching, uh, but last week they didn't want to criticise them. If that had been anybody else, they just did the same plan, go around the boundary line and Sicily just park himself on either side of the ground, wherever the ball was coming, knowing the ball's not going back in the corridor and kept on marking it. Like he just, it was like shilling peas for him. And it was, and at times he was on Higgins, at times he was out marking Gresham. Like it just, St Kilda needed to do something different. They needed to change the angles of the ball, which they don't do. And people are becoming uh, used to St Kilda playing. So uh, Hawthorne did the homework. I thought they did really well. They moved the ball exceptionally well. They missed goals. They probably should have won by four or five goals. But I thought in the end, they kept their head pretty well when they were down by 10 points. If you stop the frame when um, Kachichi took that second last second last goal for them, yeah, they had two extra players St Kilda. They always get extra players back. But the kick came in on the angle. Mm. Gave Kachitsky his chance, and there was a there was a you know a laneway that had opened up, um, and that's what you've got to do. You've got to take the ball offline a bit. Don't kick it, don't bomb it, but just take an extra five or ten meters off the kick. Kick it on an angle. There's always space there. So I think uh, I think uh, Hawthorne did uh, really well. But as you said, Sicily's going to be missed, but I can't see them challenging all this week. No, particularly on the home deck. Uh, I'm going to go Port Adelaide reasonably comfortably. Uh, 32 points for me. What do you yeah, um, I think Port by 27. 27. All right. Uh, that is the first game on Saturday. Let's talk about the second one, which is over in Perth. Optus Stadium in Perth, 4.35pm Eastern Standard Time is the uh, time and venue. West Coast playing Collingwood. It is first on the ladder against 18th on the ladder. And, uh, of course, as we're going to say in a situation like this, it could get ugly. The Eagles, 1-10, and 10, nine losses in a row and 50-point defeat against Essendon last week. And um, perhaps scariest of all, the Bombers weren't even that good. and <laughs> They won by 50 points. Collingwood, top of the pops, 10-1. and one. They beat North. By 35 points. Ditto there, actually. They just did what they had to. The Pies, I was at that game. Uh, now, these two, a storied rivalry with some huge um, finals games and, uh, well, in one memorable case, a grand final. Uh, West Coast and Collingwood, their last 10 at 7-3, the Eagles way, and uh, did win one of their two wins only last year, came against Collingwood. Hard to believe, actually, now. Yes, yeah. Round four, 2022, they beat Collingwood by 13 points at uh, Marvel Stadium, no less. Wasn't even in Perth. Uh, West Coast at Optus, well, that's a bit of a fortress for them, isn't it? No, anything but. Uh, they have won only uh, two of 20 games there since the start of 2021. I know, isn't that incredible? Wow. Collingwood at Optus Stadium, uh, five wins and for losses, um, I'm going to read off their West Coast injuries as we do every week, uh, a, a well-established uh, tradition here on the Footyology podcast. 
Uh, let's go. 13 players this week. They are Cole, Cripps, Cully, Darling, Edwards, Jones, McGovern, Natanui, Petrovsky, Seaton, Ryan, Sheed, Shuey, Winder, Mainwaring, Warsfold, Jackovich, <laughs> Bremen. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. I just shouldn't laugh, but uh, things are pretty crook for the Eagles and uh, no sign of that turning around. Uh, I'll talk about Collingwood's injuries in a minute, Rocket, but uh, this is just speaking about shelling peas. That's what this game will be. Yeah, it is. I mean, you can't. I don't think they can go on too long about either side, to be honest. Everyone knows where they're at. Um, Collingwood will, I, I think the game will be in bursts. They'll kick five in a row at some stage and then they'll take their foot off the pedal and it'll be competitive. Um, but in the end, you know, you, you know, you think they're going to blow them out of the water. And if Collingwood had had some illnesses and through the club and, I mean, you'd be resting blokes. If there's any risk at all this week, you wouldn't be taking them to Perth. Um, not that you think you've got the game in the bag. I know you don't want to have that mentality, but by the same token, Eagles are that poor. Um, and as you said, Essen didn't play well that last week and probably could have won by 80 or 90 points if they'd had their foot on the throat. Um, so I really can't see the Eagles getting close to the Pies this week and it'll be one-way traffic for most of the game. Well, speaking about uh, leaving some people in Melbourne, one of them, uh, Steel Sidebottom, of course, played his 300th game last week and uh, got injured and missed 90% of it. What a Oh, I, so, I felt so sorry for him. He's been one of the most durable guys in the game mm. for 15 years. And, of course, in the biggest milestone game he's played, he does a knee. Uh, it, it's not looking like it's hugely serious, but obviously they're going to keep him on ice until after their buy, you'd think. So that'll give him another uh, at least two or three weeks for recuperation. Uh, Lipinski, Private Lipinski, as uh, an old joke. I'll fill you in on that one later. Um, he's closing in on a return, as is McStay, the forgotten recruit. Uh, Jeremy Howe, of course, that injury back in round one, he's building his trading loads, and uh, good to be able to have those guys in reserve. And the one who could return from a groin injury and potentially get the trip to Perth Rocket is your mate, Billy Frampton, who would be, of course, <laughs> if he went to Perth, what would he be doing? He'd be... Doing his own way. That's it, plotting his own way. Like Wood Mac. <laughs> no, he'd be coming alive. Coming alive. That's right. Coming alive. All right. I'm just talking dribble here. So uh, you give us a few words on Collingwood. Um, yeah. I, now they're playing well. Now there's a report uh, during the week they've got a mystery illness. So there'll probably be a couple of players out as well. Who those players are, I'm not too sure. But they were, as I mentioned before, you wouldn't be taking a risk at all. But Collingwood will win in a canter. I've got them by 75 points. Did you say 75 points? Yeah, yeah. Wowee. That is, that could be the biggest margin anyone's ever tipped anyone by on this show. So we'll make a big deal of that one. 75 points. I'm going to be a bit more conservative and keep it at 62. <laughs> it's a competitive game, this one. All right, uh, 75 points. Well, I might even be, as in the cricket turn, being one short on that as well. I might, yeah, yeah, I might win by 100. I tell you, that's going to, that, that might actually get a few more hundred viewers to the game, Rocket, just uh, tuning in to see whether <laughs> Collingwood can wreak such havoc. All right, uh, let's move on. Uh, the next game, Saturday evening at Marvel Stadium. 7.25 p.m. Saturday evening, under the roof at Docklands, we have the Western Bulldogs playing Geelong. The Bulldogs, six on the ladder, 7-4 record. 
after losing to the Gold Coast uh, in Darwin last week by seven points. Good win by the Suns. Geelong, they are 10th on the ladder again with five and six, their record, after three losses in a row. Funny old season for the defending Premier. They lost their first three, won five in a row, and have now lost their last three again. Bulldogs v Geelong, how's that panned out over the years? Well, it's been all one-way traffic. Geelong have won 16 of 18 against the Bulldogs, going all the way back, Rocket, to the 2009 qualifying final, a game that you may remember not that fondly. No, it wasn't smashing you guys, were okay? And the Bulldogs add Marvel 11-4 since 2022. Uh, Geelong at Marvel, their last six has been 3-3, three and three, and it's gone win-loss for them. I'll get to injuries in a moment. Considerable the injury list for the Cats. But, uh, yeah, this, uh, this game doesn't have the same luster about it as you thought it might have a few weeks back, does it? No, it doesn't. The, the, the Cats, and it shows too, it, it may be a bit of hunger, so there's, there's that element. But uh, you know, coaches and clubs talk about system and our system will stand up, our system will do this and our system will do that. You haven't got the players to execute. It, it, it impacts you unbelievably. So... Um, they, they've struggled with their injuries with Dangerfield out and Duncan out and you know, they've struggled to get the ball forward to their forwards who are dangerous, Cameron and Hawkins they haven't had any looks at it much over the last three or four weeks um, they need to win this obviously and it's an understatement for the Cats, if they don't win this, they're a real chance of missing the eight, they're already a game out percentage so they miss this and other teams win they, uh, you know, they could be two games out of the eight which is going to really be a really big uh, effort to get back in Getting those 2012 vibes about it, I reckon, which for those that don't remember, they were the defending Premier, struggled through the year, ended up doing enough to just squeeze into the final eight. And we all talked about, oh, they could do more damage from the bottom half of the eight. And then they got beaten by Freo on the MCG and it was all over after one final. So yeah, it's just not at the same levels. No doubt injuries are costly, though. I'm, I'm going to read their injury list because they're. It's not just who, but it's um, it's how many in their case. Yeah. Uh, so 12 players on their injury list. Bose, Clark, Conway, Dangerfield, Duncan, Holmes, Guthrie, Kroger, Menegola, Radagawea, Rowan, and Stanley. And uh, just about throw in Donahue, Malarkey, and then Curvis uh, for good measure, Rocket. I think with that uh, group too, there's a lot of runners, isn't there? Isn't there? A lot of in the midfield. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and that's we talked about Hawthorne building their team from the inside out. That that's if you get that right, if you've got some midfield uh, talent, the ball's going forward a fair bit. Where they've they've lost that projection forward. Now Guthrie's been out for a long time, but Dangerfield as well. Holmes turned into a good player. Uh, Duncan off half back or the midfield. So they're losing players and haven't got the you know the generation. Uh, or generating attacks through there. So that's where they're really missing. Well, uh, just on that thing about run, uh, Gary Rowan set to be available less this week. Bose is the other one who has some sort of chance. Dangerfield, probably less likely to come back this week. Uh, the Bulldogs, well, they've had uh, not nearly as many injuries as the Cats have had to face, but uh, positive news for them, Adam Trelaw looks like he will be coming back for this week. He's missed the past three with a hamstring strain. Uh, who else? Uh, Rourke Smith, 
um, potentially set to play his first game of the year after a plantar fascia issue. And um, young Sam Darcy, of course, he's had that hold of Texas number one, and uh, he's also expected to come back this week. Oh, geez, tough tip this one. I'm going to let you, uh, uh, as our mate Billy Frampton would say, I want you to show me the way, Rocket. What do you reckon with this one? Um, I think the dogs will win this one. Um, I think without Dangerfield again, um, Rowan's a chance, but they're still lacking that midfield. And I think with Trelaw back in, they missed him last week, Trelaw. They hadn't the previous week, but they were... Liver was down last week. Bottom belly was okay, but got beaten by Rao. Um, so I think they'll bounce back. Uh, they were a bit disappointing after quarter time, the, the dogs last week. Uh, but I think they'll bounce back, and I think they'll win by 15 points. All right. Uh... Well, I'm I'm now. I might uh, speaking about making up lost ground. My tips are now so far down the toilet. Doesn't really matter if I go for the odd upset here or there. So uh, you should have for the upsets last week. Had plenty last week. That's true. Of course, I picked. Uh, I made the wrong call on all of them. Um, but I, I don't know if this is so much of an upset. But I reckon the cats. I don't know. I think the bulldogs, when they are in form, they maintain form, and when they're struggling. They can struggle for a few weeks. And I just think, yeah, DeLong need to win this to sort of stay in the ballpark. And I reckon they will. I'm going to go for the Cats to win this one by eight points. All right, uh, let's move on. The next game is, uh, well, we're back for a second week in a row to Darwin. <laughs> T.O. Stadium in the, uh, the north of the Territory is the venue 7:30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time is kickoff time for this game between Gold Coast and Adelaide. Two sides, uh, well, they'd be pretty happy with themselves this week. The Suns much improved of late, and Adelaide, as we spoke about earlier, they're uh, really on the rise. The Crows, uh, the Suns are 12th on the ladder, five and six after that seven-point win over the Bulldogs. Adelaide are inside the eight. They're seventh at six and five after a terrific home win over Brisbane by 17 points. Uh, Gold Coast Adelaide. Well, Adelaide were winning the head-to-head battle in this one. 13-zip, but the Suns have won two of the last three games between those two and last year won by 43 points. Gold Coast in Darwin are now three wins and two losses, have won their last three games up there now. Uh, Adelaide and Darwin, well, they've played there twice and they've won both of them, both of those wins previously against Melbourne. So uh, the venue um, becoming a a favourite one of both these clubs. Uh, A few injuries to talk about, but what uh, what are your initial thoughts here, Rocket? My initial thoughts is it's going to be a close game. I I don't uh, I thought uh, the Suns, as you mentioned, were were, quite impressive last week, although Witch did a great job on English. And held sway there. I thought Rao was was dominant in the midfield. But Kosius, they couldn't handle uh, at all the docks, um, kicking four in one quarter. Um, they just got numbers back and they just got them on the slingshot. And the, the, and the dogs just didn't handle that really well. So for the for the Crows, on that, they'll need to handle that as far as put a, at least have hold one defender and, and block that spite, dangerous space. Laird, if he doesn't get off the tribunal, is going to be a massive loss for them. He had 16 tackles last week, Rory Laird. He, and I think that's an understated uh, trait that he's got. People sort of see him as a, a good kick on the outside, but he's a he's a tough inside player. And 
having 16 tackles, I think he adds such a such an element to their midfield. The Dawson, a good kick, and uh, and the young players that go through there. If he if he misses, um, I, I think the Suns could cause an upset there. Um, but uh, so at the moment, I'm sitting on the fence, and I'll make my decision in the next 30 seconds. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll pad until then. Um, well, there's just so many things to consider here, isn't it? They, you do feel like these two are sort of about on the same wavelength at the moment, and the win-loss records sort of bear that out. The venue, normally I'd put a fair bit of stock in that, but it appears like, you know, they've both been okay here. Um, I probably think maybe Adelaide are just a little more dependable at this stage, but, uh, I mean, does it help the Suns a lot having played there last week? It probably does, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I think so. And I imagine that they would have stayed up there. I wouldn't have thought they'd go back to Gold Coast and go back again. So they'd have a obviously obviously ten days there uh, by the time they play. So so they'll be used to uh, the conditions and train there. So that, that's got to help. I, I've got a feeling that Leek won't get off at the tribunal. So I'm going to go for the Suns in an upset, uh, a mild upset, but uh, I reckon by uh, eleven points. Uh, I was going to say, it says a bit about the visibility of Gold Coast, doesn't it? That uh, we don't actually know whether they went home or whether they... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they haven't been reported on at all. Remember when Robert Walls took the uh, uh, Brisbane Bears to uh, uh, Perth? Uh, yeah. uh, that went well, didn't it? Yeah, well, it's more to do with talent, I think, than actually <laughs> them staying there a week. <laughs> I was going to say, you weren't still going around there. No, 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 I wasn't yeah. there. No, I wasn't there at the Bears then. I was at the, at the shoe bonus. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Um, all right, well, look, I need to get a couple back on you, so I think that's going to determine the way I tip in this game. I'm going to go for the Crows, but uh, I reckon it could be really close. This one I'm going to go for Adelaide by two points. All right, uh, next one. We have a Sunday afternoon game up in Sydney. One ten Sunday afternoon, Giants Stadium, uh, GWS take, or sorry, if you're Jared Hilly, the GWS take on Richmond. Um, the Giants, 14th on the ladder, 4-7. and seven. Um, But after a fantastic win over Geelong at GMHBA Stadium last weekend, uh, Richmond are 15th on the ladder, three wins, seven losses, and a draw. Uh, they've lost seven of their last nine now after that 10-point uh, defeat to Port Adelaide at the MCG. Head-to-head, um, -head, these two, it is 11-6 uh, uh, the Giants' way, including the... Sorry, it's 11-6 Richmond's way, including 2017 preliminary final and the 2019 grand final. They haven't met at Giants Stadium, these two teams, since 2020. Um, GWS on their home deck, 5-4 since the start of last year. Richmond there are 4-4, but haven't beaten the Giants at Giants Stadium since 2014. So there's a bit of history for you. I'll give you injuries soon because the injury list for both is considerable. But how are you seeing this one initially? Um, yeah, last week's game at GWS was unbelievable with their injuries. I know uh, Geelong had had injuries, but with... Himmelberg and uh, Haynes and Kelly out last week. I just couldn't see them winning down there. And it's uh, unbelievable. Obviously, Toby Green was sensational. Um, I've been on the Giants bandwagon most of the year. So um, I know uh, now the Tigers were quite good last week, to be honest. Um, going to lose by 10 points. 
um, and, and Porter a good side. So they'll, I think it'll be a close game. I think, uh, you know, the Giants, you talk about, uh, we spoke about Carlton being close enough. Well, the Giants have been closer in most of their games than even the 20 points. They've mm. they got belted in one. They uh, lost to the Eagles, which they should never have lost. Now you're looking in hindsight in, in Perth round two. But other than that, they've been um, they've been very much there with a chance to win games. They should have been secure the week before to kick badly a game for goal. Um, I'm I'm going with the Giants. I'm uh, sticking with them, which will mean they'll lose. But uh, I'm going to um, I'm going to pick the Giants in a close one. Well, don't don't talk your tipping down. You're tipping a lot better than me. We'll we'll get a margin in a sec. Um, long injury list. Both uh, GWS got 13 players on their injury list. The Tigers have got 11. So just quickly touch on injury prospects for both. Uh, the Giants should get Himmelberg back this week, but Haynes uh, still to pass the concussion protocols. He's had, uh, it says an infection hasn't allowed him to train the requisite number of days to be past fit to play. Uh, timelines on uh, Proust and Hamilton up in the air for the Giants and Richmond. Well, still the big names there. Uh, although Vlosten and Rioli could return this week. Um, Rioli, he's missed the last five uh, with hamstring issue. And that, I, I know I keep saying it, but his absence, I think, particularly damaging for them. Uh, Vlosten could come back. Uh, but the big ticket ones there, of course, Tom Lynch. Uh, we are still saying 7-12 to 12 for him with that foot injury. Uh, Avan Soldo four weeks away. Um, the Robbie Tarrant uh, ghost watch. He's not actually a real player, Robbie Tarrant. He's just a name. Yeah, he's still in North Melbourne. He's <laughs> <laughs> indefinite for him. Um, so that one uh, problematic for them. Uh, yeah, eleven injuries for Richmond. They they were better against Port. I'm like they, I'm I'm tempted. I mean, I've been on their bandwagon yeah, for so long. Now, now if Boston plays, that, that really stiffens them up. It's uh, yeah, I, I've said GWS, but I, I could be going back. The, I reckon this is a really close one. Right? Depends uh, if the depends for me if the Giants can kick accurately, and if Hillberg back will be a bonus. Boston back will be a bonus for Richmond. I'm a real city on the fence. Whoever I. All right, yeah, I still go with the Giants. I still go with the Giants by three points. All right, GWS, three points for Rocket. Good to see you having the courage of your convictions, but good also to see you giving me a chance to go differently and pick up another one. This round, I'm going to need all the help I can get. I'm going to go for the Tigers by two points. But that really does loom as the close one, as uh, the old ABC radio callers used to put it. All right, uh, round 12 finishes off. Late on Sunday afternoon at Marvel Stadium. 4.40 p.m. Essendon playing North Melbourne under the roof at Docklands. Essendon back in the eight at six and five after a, uh, well, business-like enough 50-point win over West Coast in Perth last week. North Melbourne 17th on the ladder, two and nine. They've now lost nine in a row after that 34-5-point defeat at the hands of Collingwood. Well, it's shocking, though. They had to crack the ruse. Uh, oh, yeah, I think they show something. I think they're... Yeah. I, I, I like what they're doing. People are bagging them, but Wardlaw is going to be played. Didn't do a lot last week. Phillips is really coming on now. You've got Davies Uniac out. Um, Simpkins a good player. But some of these kids, Ford, I've never seen much of, shows a bit. 
Um, so some of their kids that they're giving games to, that's what Ratton's done. He's given them more of the kids a go, and they're showing a bit. And I think that that's the, obviously the future. But um, some of the older blokes, I think, just phase them out. Um, I think in a couple of years' time, um, especially if Tassie do come in the concessions, they'll be ahead of the curve. Uh, they need us some some key defenders. They're really struggling there. Ben McKay's a real battler. Um, they really do struggle down there, but their forward line looks like it's got some talent. They do turn it over. As we know, they do cause some horrible turnovers, which caused goals last week for Collingwood, but they did expose Collingwood, not expose Collingwood, but they look dangerous at times. Going in, they want a handball, they want to run, they're, they're, they're enthusiastic. I think they'll push the Bombers. I, I really do. I, I think the Bombers will win because they're, they've got that uh, professional edge to them at the moment. That's right. They, you know, you sort of get the job done last week, but they'll get six goals down, but they'll fight back. They'll do what's expected of them. Um, they don't wilt. Um, and I think it'll be closer than most people think. So Essence Porters might get disappointed if, if it's a close enough game, but I still think the professionalism they've showed and the maturity that they've showed the Bombers, they'll get the job done. Well, they have got a pretty good record over the ruse of late, uh, in fairness, so of most teams, I guess. But Essendon have won the last eight against North Melbourne, whose last win against them was 2016. Uh, what about at Marvel Stadium? 7-4 Essendon at Marvel since the start of 2022. North Melbourne, their home venue as well, but uh, not winning anywhere much. The ruse, they are 3-12 and at the ground over the same time period, the start of 2022. Uh, Essendon got Laverde back last week, and he really stiffened uh, the defence. Nick Cox, the forgotten man, he came back via the VFL. So it was a fairly significant moment, but you reckon there's at least several uh, runs in the VFL before they think about bringing him back to senior level. Dylan Shell was a late withdrawal, should be back this week. Peter Wright ed- edging uh, closer to a return after the buy as well too, Rocket. So uh, good times for the Bombers. They're performing all right in some of those uh, longer-term injuries, uh, looking at a return in the near future. Uh, for the Roos, well, Charlie Coleman still six to eight weeks out. The big one here is Luke Davies-Uniac, uh, probably another one to two weeks away with that hamstring injury. Who else? Uh, Darcy Tucker hamstring, Flynn Perez concussion, uh, Lockie Young concussion, Jackson Archer groin, all made their comebacks in the VFL last weekend. So as you say, plenty of youth there for caretaker coach Brett Ratton to choose from. Uh, definitely gave it a red-hot crack against Collingwood, and I thought were impressive. Um, gee, a lot of uh, lot of hype about Wardlaw. Uh, quick word on him. What's impressive about young George, you reckon? Oh, for me, it's his power through the through the through the contest. I mean, he, he's got the... Look, he's only an 18-year-old kid, but his willingness to take the tackler on and with real gusto, uh, he still hasn't got the, quite enough strength there, but he, he brushed a few tackles at the weekend. He was really impressive the week before. Didn't do a, a lot on against Collingwood, but showed that he's going to be a real player. He's, his ability to get out of tough situations um, and his urgency to uh, attack the contest, I, 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 I think is very impressive. And with him and Powell and Phillips and then Davies Uniac as well, they I think their midfield is going to be really strong in the future. Talk about building from inside out. Now they've got to get a tall defender and maybe someone to help Larky up the other end. And I think they'll be okay. I think I'll, you know, give them another two years. It's still going to be a slow burn, but I um, I'm I'm you know certainly impressed the way they're going. Now I think North supporters are on board with this too. That's the one thing I'm noticing that while the rest of the football world sort of 
wrings their hands about uh, North Melbourne getting belted. I think the Roos supporters are enjoying seeing the flashes from those young kids and thinking about what might be a, a couple of uh, couple of years down the track. So from a developmental point of view, this could be another opportunity to do that. You still think the Bombers are far more reliable conveyance these days, get the job done, though. I'm going for Essendon by 28 points. What about you? Um, I'm going the Bombers by 19. 19 points. Uh, interesting range in the margins for you. You've got GWS by three, Gold Coast by 11, Collingwood by 75. That's going to be the big... You know what? That. That's good. Well, that is going to end up all over the Western Australian as motivational fodder. Good. Got... good. <laughs> They'll need as much help as they can get. Do you reckon Adam Simpson will put that up? No, I don't think so. Hopefully they get that close. I'm telling you, blokes, Rockets, Rockets can tempt us to get done by 75 points. It just proves the wide uh, range of influence that the Footyology podcast has, Rocket, with your <laughs> presence on it. Uh, all right, uh, enough mischief-making from me. Uh, seven games, of course, as we move into the bye rounds. Um, thanks for your input, uh, everyone, and uh, we'll see you back here next week.